Well, tonight is my last teaching in our annual theme of authentic community. It's actually my last uh, formal Sunday night teaching, which is also really, really sad. Um, and tonight, what I'd like to do in the kind of like the last teaching in the year of authentic community, so I want to talk about what it means to be a community of love. That's what I want to talk about. What does it mean to be a community of love? And I want to do that from Mark chapter 6. So if you have a Bible, turn to Mark chapter 6. Uh, I think there might be pew Bibles as well. Uh, I'm going to be jumping in, in and around Mark 6 a, a lot. So if you have a Bible, it would be really helpful that you, that you bring that out. Mark 6, um, I'm going to read verse 30 through 42, and then I will pray. So let's pray. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place, but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a, such a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so, the, so his disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus answered, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, that would take more than a half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He said, go and see. Meaning, how many loaves do you have among yourselves? The twelve. When, when they found out, they said, we have five and two fish. Then Jesus told them to make all, pe all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. This is God's word. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we, um, we desire, I desire for our church, even tonight, that you would teach us to love. And teach us to love from a, a place that this love does not run out. That there is an abundance of love that we have to give to our community and to our neighbors and to our city, God. This, I think everyone agrees, no matter what religion or background or worldview we come from, that we need love. And we also can agree that it's really hard to have an endless supply, an endless reserve from which, where, where this love comes from. And we're asking God that you would teach us how we can have this supply of love that goes out to our world that's abundant, that's abundant. And we pray all this in the strong and beautiful name of Christ. Amen. 
Church tradition has it that when the Apostle John got really old, this is the Apostle that um, wrote uh, the book of John, who, the Apostle that he, that he calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved, the um, Apostle who was exiled on, on the island of Patmos and wrote the book of Revelation. When this John got really, really old, um, he couldn't walk anymore. And tradition has it, he couldn't walk and he was going blind and but he still wanted to travel to the churches and encourage the churches. And so he would go from church to church encouraging the churches. And when he got to a church, they were typically house churches. And he would get there and they would carry him to the very front uh, or the middle of, of the house where the, the Christians uh, gathered and he, they would lay him on the ground. And, uh, and he would, all the, all the eyes would be fixed on him and everybody would be listening to him. And he would, he, this would be his teaching. He would say, dear children, love one another. And that would be his teaching. He would go from house church to house church, from city to city, teaching the congregation to love one another. And that was his whole message. It actually, he sums it up like this in his, his letter. In 1 John, it says this. 1 John 4, 7, Dear beloved, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And I think we can all agree that the essence of and the core of authentic community must be love. It should be love. That's what we're supposed to be all about. Christianity is about love. But what Mother Teresa has said is true. She said, what we need is to love without getting tired. How do we do that, though? How do we, especially at the end of the year, a year of authentic community that we've talked about all kinds of difficult conversations when we had, we've had all kinds of stuff go down in our, in our community, in our different community groups, how do we love one another without getting tired? How do we love and serve one another without getting tired? In our passage tonight from Mark, Jesus is taking his disciples away on a little mini retreat after they got back from ministering and serving the surrounding towns and villages. If you have a Bible, uh, Mark chapter 6, verse 7 tells us what happened. Look at verse 7. It says, Calling the twelve to himself, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts, wear sandals but not an extra shirt. Wherever, whenever you enter into a house, stay there until you leave that town. If any place will not welcome you, or listen to you, leave that place and shake off, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. And they went out and they preached that people should repent. And they drove out many demons and anointed with oil many people who were ill and healed them. So we don't know how long they were gone, but Jesus takes his disciples, breaks them up in, in groups of two, gives them very strict instructions about how to go into a town. And when you go into a town, live off the hospitality of that town and then preach the gospel to them. Call people to repentance. Tell people the kingdom of God is at hand like I've been doing. And then pray for people to be delivered from demonic influences and pray for people to be healed from sicknesses. Um, bring the kingdom of God to bear on different towns. And it was basically like a short-term missions trip. And he sent them out, and they went out. And then they came back. And when they came back, they were so popular, meaning not just Jesus was popular at this point. Now the disciples were popular because they had Jesus' authority. They became so popular that they couldn't even sit down to eat. Every single time they tried to eat, a crowd would show up. And so Jesus says to them, come with me 
by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Now, this is a beautiful invitation of Jesus. Like, when Jesus says this to you, hey, you come away with me. I want to be with you. I want you to get some rest. What a, what, a, what a kind invitation of Christ. Now, this is an invitation of love. One that says, I see that you have been giving out a lot. I see that you've been selflessly serving in your home. I see you've been selflessly serving in, in your neighborhood or your, your place of work or your church. I see that you've been loving in ways that can be draining. I see how other people don't notice it really, but they keep asking you for more. I think it's time for you to get some quiet. I think it's time for you to get some rest. And all of us said yes and amen. Yes. How do I do that right now? Now, first glance, this, this sentence seems like a beautiful invitation to be alone with Jesus on a retreat after extended time of loving other people. But what this really is, is a setup. Jesus is setting them up. And we know that not just by what happens in the story, we actually know that by the very invitation of Jesus. First off, notice that when Jesus calls them to himself, he says, come with me by yourselves. Not yourself, yourselves. You all come with me by yourself together. This is a strange invitation. Jesus wants to be alone with them together. Right there, we should know something's going on here. Like, Jesus wants us to rest. It's like kind of going on vacation with a bunch of friends. It's fun, but it's not relaxing, right? You're with friends. It's so fun, but it's not necessarily relaxing. It's, who's going to cook dinner? Who's going to do that? Who's gonna do, we want to do this. We want to do that. Like, it's, it's fun, but it's not necessarily relaxing. And so Jesus is calling them away together. But it doesn't end there because another thing that tips us off that Jesus was setting them up to teach them something was it was that Jesus said, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place. Then in verse 32, it calls a place they are all going, a solitary place. Now, both of these words are allusions to what the Old Testament called the wilderness, the wild. The theologian William Lane translates Jesus' invitation like this, come with me to the wilderness place apart. Come with me to the wilderness place apart. See, the wilderness is a place Jesus was called to by the Spirit after his baptism to take on Satan. The wilderness was a place the Israelites traveled through to get to the promised land after being freed from enslavement. It's a, it's a wild place they had to go through to get to somewhere else. Wilderness is a place in between. The wilderness was the place of testing. The wilderness is a place of refinement. So this invitation is really an invitation into an education, into, a, into an on-the-job training exercise, into a lesson on how to love people and serve people without growing tired and weary. Jesus is capitalizing on the fact that they're tired from ministry. He's capitalizing on the fact, capitalizing on the fact that they can't get a, take a breath without someone noticing them and asking them for something. And he's using this very moment of like exhaustion. They're like exhausted to go, okay, how are you going to keep doing this? When I leave you on this earth, he knows this, when I leave you on this earth, how will you keep pouring yourselves out? How will you keep doing this? Come with me to the wilderness, a place of testing, a place of refinement, a place of, place of learning, and I will show you. Now, they don't know that at the time, but this is exactly what Jesus is doing. And by the way, I'm not talking about being physically tired. Being physically tired is a thing. It's a very, naps are from the Holy Spirit, all right? I'll just say that, right? Sleep is from God, right? Eight hours of sleep, oh, eight hours of sleep is from the Lord. Have you ever 
got an eight hour sleep, you wake up and you look at the time and you count and you're like, wait, that was eight hours. I was asleep for eight and you rejoice. You're like, I, I could do anything. I can literally do anything right now, right? This is, this is from God. So I'm not talking about being physically tired. We all have to live under limits. What I'm talking about is the kind of tired where we don't want anything to do with people where we're tired of loving others close to us or loving others that are far from us. For that, to keep loving people, in a city like San Francisco where you're full of people all the time and you're full of needs all the time, there's needs everywhere, for that to happen, a refinement needs to take place in the disciples that can only happen through the wilderness. So they get into a boat, and they get into the boat and they cross this lake to get away from people, right? That's what the disciples think they're doing. They're getting away from people. Now, when we think of this lake that they're crossing, we kind of think of like maybe, I don't know if you grew up in and around giant lakes, like the Great Lakes or something. This, this is not a giant lake. Someone did? Okay, someone has. Awesome. Well, this is not that, okay? Uh, this is Lake Gennesaret. This is like actually not a large lake at all. So the people see them get into the boat and they see exactly where they're going and they can walk to where they're going faster than the boat can take them. It's like, oh, they're going over there this way. And they'll just walk around the lake and they just all wait for them on the other side. And the boat pulls up and they're like, hey, we, we saw you. Um, we saw you traveling across the lake. That's exactly what happens. So the people go to the other side and meet them there. And when they come ashore, this huge crowd has now gathered. At that moment, Jesus sees them. And this very interesting thing, I love the way that Mark tells this story. It says that Jesus had compassion on them. This word is only used of Christ. And it means being so inwardly moved that you have to, it moves you to action. It makes you, makes you have to do something. Now, so when you're walking in and along the streets of San Francisco and you see someone, um, uh, you see a houseless person, someone, uh, someone suffering, someone in need, and you're like, oh, I have a meeting, and you keep walking. Now, that, that's not compassion. That might be pity. That might be sadness. Compassion's like, I am going to be late, because I have to do something about this. That's compassion. It's exactly what Jesus has here. He has to do something. And so he says he has compassion on them, but he also says this. Mark says, because they were like, to Jesus, they were like sheep without a shepherd. It doesn't mean they were lost. It doesn't mean like, how did we end up over here on this side of the lake? That's not, what, that's not what that means. It means they were spiritually hungry. They were spiritually lost. They were spiritually searching. And Jesus knows this. So he begins to teach them. He begins to teach them about the kingdom of God. Now, at this point is where the story gets really interesting. Verse 35. By this time, it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him, and they said, Jesus, this place is super remote. It's like when you're on the way to, the I, when you're on the way to L.A. on the I-5. It's like that gap between, like, Del Taco and, like, In-N-Out, and it's like four, it's like, 75 miles and you're in the middle, you're like, if I run out of gas here, I'm going to die. <laughs> For sure, I'm going to die. I, I, there's, I'll starve. I'll, I don't know what I'll do. I don't, have you ever been, I've almost run out of gas at that place before, right? So this is kind of like what Jesus is talking about, like, or they're talking about. It's a remote place. It's the wilderness. It's remote. Like, this is really randomly remote. And it's late. It, the sun's going down. Send people away so they can find their way to the countryside and the villages and buy themselves something to eat because there's a lot of people here. Now, the disciples are not being selfish here. This is actually a gesture of love and concern for the people. 
Remember, the disciples were just on a short-term missions trip where they all thought about, all they thought about and all they did for however long was to go to town to town to serve and pray and heal and preach and allow others to be kind to them by showing them hospitality. Their whole entire world has been shaped by selflessness for the last however long, several weeks, months, I don't know. Now, we know that the disciples have been selfish in the past. We have accounts of them, but this is not one of them. I think the first lesson that we learn from this is that when we are steeped in the reality of God's kingdom, our focus shifts from our needs to the needs of others. And when Jesus sends them out two by two, something shifts in them where their concern, their literal concern is for other people. There are accounts throughout the scriptures where that was not so from the disciples. But their mindset has shifted. And this here, a concern for others' needs over your own needs is at the very heart of the Christian faith. A genuine concern for the needs of others. We talked about this in the very first series of this year. Philippians 2.3. Paul says, In humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. This is like the heart of what it means to be, uh, to be a part of the Christian faith, to, to, to practice the Christian faith, to practice the way of Jesus. It's like in humility, you start seeing other people as like, uh, as more value, like above yourself. Like you, you kind of have yourself as a center and the reference point of the entire world. It's seeing someone else as that. And what I would say here is that it's a, it's a good idea to put yourself into a practice, a ritual, a habit of showing up to care for another's need above your own. For example, like volunteering every Monday in your neighborhood or serving in kids' ministry on Sunday morning or serving on set-up and breakdown. These are not plugs. These are just honest things. Sure, serving in a short-term missions trip, sacrificially giving. When you show up, when you, when you habituate your life to looking out to the needs of others, all of a sudden you're like worldview shifts. When we do this, we start, to, we start to get into our minds and our bodies that God's kingdom is bigger and more real than our own kingdom of self. The thing that we're trying to build here in San Francisco. Now, at this moment here, This is the moment where Jesus tries to teach them how to love without exhaustion. This is the moment where he tries to teach them how to serve without burnout. Because they are concerned for people, and that's important. But as many empaths know, if you're an empath, you know this. Concern for, for other people can cripple you. Because concern for people can drive your heart mad because you can't possibly meet everyone's needs. Anyone know what I'm talking about? For those of you that bleed, like your heart bleeds for other people, you see all the needs of people and you feel all the needs of people and you can't meet their needs and it drives you crazy. And then you get mad at God, like, why don't you meet everyone's needs all the time, God? Like, what is, what's going on? And then you try to do it and you get burnt out. Like, the disciples see the problem and they even come up with a creative solution. Send them away let them take care of themselves by buying themselves something to eat. But what Jesus does next is classic Jesus, because instead of relieving their problem, he intensifies their problem. He says this, you give them something to eat. Wait, what are you saying? Us give them something to eat? Like now we're like a catering business? Like what's happening? 
What do you mean we give them something to eat? We can't give them something to eat. There's not enough. There's not enough of anything. There's not enough food. There's not enough money. There's not enough time in the day. We're running out of daylight. See, I think a lot of us in here might live, if you're anything, I mean, I I feel this way. You might live with this inner anxiety and way of being that says, good things won't happen here unless I make them happen. We show up to our lives, we show up to our work, our home, our roommates, our church. Good things won't happen here unless I make them happen. And I will confess that I wake up with this anxiety in my heart almost every day. And so what we do is we anxiously work to make good things happen in our lives, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our city, because we think it depends on me to make it happen. And here lies the lesson. Here's the heart of what Jesus is trying to teach them. If your heart can receive this, I hope it receives this right now. Jesus is trying to teach them, you are safe, you are secure, and I'm already at work. You're okay. They're okay. You're safe. You're secure. I'm already at work. They're out there because Jesus brought them out there. Everyone's out there because he brought them out, brought them out there. They're not there by accident. Jesus knows what he's doing. He knows, like, I'm going to cross this lake, and th- there they are right there. They're going to see us go over there, and they're going to follow us. And we get out. They're all here, and it's getting late. I know how food and time work. Like, I make that stuff, so I know how this all works. If your heart can receive that, receive that. And he, I, one of the ways that your heart might be able to receive this is, I was with a, um, a pastor earlier this year, and he was talking about uh, something that um, he reads every morning. And I want to give an excerpt from it now. Um, he reads this every morning to, like, um, uh, situate his heart, um, kind of position his heart in a way where he understands uh, who God is and what this world is. And he says this. It says this. This is our worldview. He calls it our worldview. This is our Father's world just that line, just meditating on that line. This is our Father's world. The Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit are its creator, savior, and sustaining superintendent. And humanity remains God's project. And humanity remains God's project. We live in this Trinitarian bathed world which, by his loving, wise design, is perfectly suited to finding him and serving others. Stop there. Just that. It goes on, but I just just want to spend time there. This world, this Trinitarian bathed world, put that back up, sorry. This Trinitarian bathed world, which, by God's loving, wise design, is perfectly suited to finding him and serving others. This is how God has made this world. Even with all of its chaos, its craziness, it's, it's, it's frankly um, disheartening sometimes. Until you, you sit back and realize this world that God made is perfectly designed and suited for people to find him and for me to serve others. 
See, the disciples perceived the need. They, thought they, they only thought they could do nothing about it. They saw that there's a lot of need here, and you know what? We can't do anything about it. And Jesus kindly says, you feed them. And they said, we can't. There's not enough. Now, we all know what this is. This is a scarcity model. You know what that is. Thinking there's not enough. Not enough money, not enough time, not enough beds or houses or not enough food. You get the picture. And we operate out of this in small and big ways all the time. Community, when it gets really hard, tends to operate out of a scarcity model. There's not enough. We get strict around, even around the way that we see things. We interpret the Bible the way that we, that we think we should be living. And we get, we get really tight and we're like, there's not enough. There's not enough. And we, get, we, we, get, we become anything less than generous. But that's not Jesus' model. Jesus' model is the abundant model. This abundant model is rooted in the reality that this is my Father's world. And the next world is my Father's world. This world is my Father's world, and the next world is my Father's world. And so if I give my life away here, even if it means giving my life away in death, the next world is my Father's world as well, and He'll make all things right and new. So I can, actually, this is, you can take that screen off. Um, this is actually the reason why Christians throughout the centuries, even today, just not necessarily in and around where you and I live, where Christians give their lives, their literal lives for other people. They sacrifice their safety and their lives for others. What makes someone do that? They think, this is my father's world. And if I die, the next world's my father's world. So I can give my life away here. And if it and I trust that I'm safe and secure. And even if not, the next one is my Father's will that he'll make all things new and right. This is an abundance model. This is a model where we can like give ourselves away. We can give our stuff away and know that we're sowing into the kingdom of God who makes dead things come alive. Who when we give, we get. I see this, um, I kind of just want to get this out in the world because I think I've been hanging on to this for a while. I see this in churches and specifically in church buildings. This is really random and you're like, why are you talking about church buildings? Most old churches that have tons of members and they, loo- and they have a building and then they lose, they get old and they lose a ton of members they go into self-preservation and self-focus. Churches do this all the time. It's a scarcity model. I've seen it in churches all over San Francisco. Actually, I haven't seen or heard of a single church that hasn't thought this way. I would, I would love for someone to, to, to email me and let me know of a church that hasn't thought this way. But every church that I've learned or heard about in San Francisco has a building with dying membership, looks for a developer to buy their building, or, actually that's it, developer. And if the building is zoned to where only a church can be in it, they get creative in and around zoning. And it's sad because um, there's models of it that's, beautiful that um, there's a lot of churches I know in Portland, for example. 
And in Portland, I know of a f- actually about four of these churches where the, the, ch- the membership gets older and either members start dying or leaving the city and then the church that once housed a bunch of people, a billion, shrinks. And what they do is they go to another church and say, buy this for what we owe on it or buy it minimally or take it outright because we want gospel ministry to flourish. And if we die, we die because something else will be reborn because that's abundance. And it's a beautiful model. I actually speak this out into the world now because I hope that if we ever get into a building and reality's ministry begins to dwindle and age out and we can't reach whatever next generation generation is coming, that we just say, we served God in our generation. And now it's your turn to serve God in your generation. I get pastors that ask me all the time, how do you reach millennials? I say, you probably shouldn't. (laughs) You should probably let other people reach millennials. And I'm not going to be asking, how do you reach Gen Z? I'm just going to be saying, other people need to raise up, and God's going to raise up people to reach those people. Now, how do you move from one like this scarcity model where you're self-preserving and you're self-protecting to one of giving your life? How do you move that way? I read this one book this last week. It says, uh, the way you do it is your mission statement as a church should be this, out of the life of Jesus. Our mission statement is, we, we exist to serve others and then die, just like our founder. That's beautiful. We exist to serve others and then die, just like Jesus did. But what what you really believe there is that you understand what the kingdom of God is like. Because the kingdom of God is resurrection life. It's about giving away to receive. It's a thing that the kingdom of God is like a seed that falls to the ground and dies. And because it falls to the ground and dies, it bears much fruit. Something lives in its place and there's more of it. It's this perspective that there is actually more. That there is a plethora of goods. There's a plethora of riches. There's a plethora of of life and love that comes to us from God. It's this perspective. And it's hard. I mean... I'm not teaching saying anything that's like easy to do, not even from, not, not for me at all. Um, this last night, this morning, Everett, uh, at, our, at our morning gathering, I don't know if you saw this in our newsletter and our, our social media thingies, but um, Everett this morning had a food drive. And so our church was encouraged to bring dry canned foods to Everett Middle School to serve uh, families in the Mission District. And, um, and so Ash was last night, uh, Juniper six, so she wasn't at church today, and so um, she's putting together this like bag of like dried goods to bring to church for this food drive. And she comes downstairs and she's like, "Hey, I'm gonna put this by the door. This is the stuff that I got from our cupboard and all this other stuff." And and she's like, "I, I pretty much got all the stuff that's like deemed like unperishable, un- dried goods, whatever." She goes, "The only thing I left in the in the cupboard were um, two cans of green beans and two cans of corn that are yours." Now, the story behind this is that I grew up eating this dish that my mom used to make. And um, it's like comfort food. It's like my, my favorite dishes in the world. And it calls for um, uh, canned green beans and canned corn. And Ash tried to get all like foodie and make it with like organic whole green beans and like sliced off corn. And it was nasty. I was like, no, don't make that ever again. <laughs> like, that's not what that is. This canned, this calls for canned stuff, okay? So, um, and so she says, um, only thing I left in there was this. this the, the things that you want for your meal, like your canned things. Like, and I was like, just, just put it in there. 
She's like, what? I'm like, just put it in there. It was, like an, it, was, it was like 53 cents a can. Like, it's not a big deal. But here's why it's easy to give, like, this, this, like, sacred, holy meal that my mom made for me that I love to make for myself that I hopefully will eat tonight. Um, like, that thing, like, how, why was it easy? Because there's more at the store. I can go to the store. Actually, we did today and bought more. There's just a bunch more. You can just go get more. Now, but what if these were the last four cans ever? I would probably go, oh, I don't know. This is, a, this is a really hard decision to make. But it wasn't that hard because there's more. And it was, it was silly. This is a stupid illustration. I understand that. But what, the reason why we, like, hoard and the reason why we, like, self-preserve and self-protect is we don't think there's enough. We don't think there's more. The reason why we hold back love and hold back, like, attention from person sitting next to us at church or hold back, like, yeah, I will have a coffee with you or, yeah, I will pray for you or, yeah, I will serve you, yeah, I will give you my money because we don't think there's enough. We don't think there's enough of our time, enough of our energy, enough of our love, and so we self-protect. We, we reserve this and preserve that. that. That would be like there's no more, but that's not true. Not, 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 like, not, not in Jesus' economy. There's more. So here's what the disciples make clear to Jesus. What he was asking was beyond human resourcefulness. You're asking us to feed these people. There's not enough. And what they do is they focus on what they lack. We don't have enough. But what Jesus wants them to focus on is what they possess. He says, well, what do you have? And they say, not enough. He's like, no, no, what do you have? probably not, just go and see. Go and see what you have. So they go, okay. And then 12, they talk, they're like, okay, here, here it is what we have. We, have. we have five and two fish. We have five loaves, two fish. Are you happy? That we, we, there's not enough here, okay? We did what you said. But what happens next is the lesson of love within community. The problem won't be solved by something beyond them, but by something from among them. See, most of us are really not looking for experts. We're really, what we really want and what we really long for is the person right in front of us to show up in real ways with what they have. That's what we're really looking for. And that's not happening. So we go to the experts, we go to the therapists, we go to the counselors, and they say, what you really need is you need to show up in a real way in their life, and they need to show up in a real way in your life. And that's really what we're looking for. We're not looking for experts, everyone. We're not looking for, like, expert mentors. We're looking for the person that's right in front of us, that we're living with, that we're in community with, that we're to show up in real ways right in front of us. That's what we're really looking for. We're looking for people to bring what they have. Here's what I have. That's what we're really looking for. And this, this is what Jesus teaches us. What do you have? Bring that. It's going to be enough. Watch. So he takes the five loaves and the two fish. It's not much but it's going to be more than enough. And he has them sit down. And not just sit down, but look what it says. Jesus directed them to sit down in groups on the green grass. What's happening here? Psalm 23. Psalm 23 breaks out right in the middle of the wilderness. He's the shepherd. They're the sheep, right? They lack, but now they shall lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. 
He makes me lie down on green grass. He leaves me beside still waters. By the way, they're still by the lake. He restores my soul. This is what Jesus does with the stuff that we bring. Like the, the small crumbs, the leftovers, the like, our own provision. He takes it where they could have went, we have five and two fishes, and there's only 12 of us. Even that, even among 12 of us, it might not be a lot of stuff, but we just still brought it. And he takes it. And what he does next is a full-on miracle. But this miracle uh, is not described how it really works. Because he takes the bread and he breaks it and he blesses it. And whether the bread increased in the hands of Jesus as he was blessing it and breaking it, or in the hands of the disciples as they were distributing it, we're not told. What we're supposed to see and learn from this passage is that this here is the kingdom of God functioning. We bring what we have and watch God use it. And not just use it, multiply it. Now remember, the opening question of the sermon was, how do we love and serve in community without getting tired? That was the lesson that these disciples were supposed to learn. How do you keep on loving in Jesus' name? How do you keep on serving in Jesus' name? How do you keep doing that when you've just done it in a missions trip and then people won't leave you alone and then you're supposed to get away with, from, away with Jesus? How does this reserve keep flowing? This is the thing that Jesus is trying to teach them in the wilderness. And the answer, the answer is that Christ is in your midst. And he's the one that does it. Now, they're supposed to learn that, but they, well, actually they don't. Look, let's just keep reading. Again, it's not on the screen, but look at verse 45 in your Bibles. Immediately, this is the very next verse. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And so Jesus says, okay, you guys get in the boat. You guys kind of boat all over that way, and I'm going to kind of like we're going to clean up the crowd here. And so they'd still away just like, hey, thanks for coming. Hope you're well fed. Hope you learned some things about the kingdom. You guys can go now. It's been great. Thank you. Bye. Okay, that's what he does, right? After leaving them, he went up to the mountainside to pray. So he just goes up by himself to the mountaintop and he starts to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and Jesus was alone on the land. He saw the disciples straining the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. That's cool, guys. He's walking on water, okay? And he was about to pass by them, which I think is awesome. He was just going to be like, yo, and he's going to keep walking, right? That's what Mark is saying. He's like, he was going to keep walking, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost, and they cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Jesus was just about just going to like, hey, hey, and he's going to keep walking, and they were like, oh my God. They were just freaking out. This is a ghost. Oh my gosh. Immediately, he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and then the wind died down. Now look at this. And they were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves, and their hearts were hardened. There is a lesson that they were supposed to learn about the loaves, and when they got into the boat, they hadn't learned it yet. They were supposed to learn something about who Jesus was, and the lesson of the loaves, and they didn't. Now, what was the lesson that Jesus was trying to teach them in the wilderness, and then he was trying to teach them again on the lake, and they didn't learn? I'll say it like this. 
is Christ enough? Is Jesus sufficient? Is Jesus the bread of life? Is he the water of life that if you drink from him, you won't be thirsty anymore? Is Christ Emmanuel God with us? Does Christ provide? Is he all we need? The disciples were blind to the presence of God in their midst, and they were blind at his care for people. They didn't think Jesus cared. They didn't think Jesus was with them. They didn't think God was at work. Christ is the one who provides and keeps providing. So you can give what you have. He's the one with you through the storms. He's the one. When he's with you, you have everything you would ever need. And to the degree that you understand that, you can serve and love and not grow weary. You can serve and love with Christ's provision. So what you're really offering people is Christ's love. That's what you're offering. You're becoming a, uh, a conduit of Christ's love, a place uh, where Christ's love flows through you and you're open. But I also think it takes understanding. It takes understanding that this is our Father's world. That this is our Father's world. That San Francisco is our Father's world. And that the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, are its creator and its savior and its sustaining superintendent. And humanity remains God's project. And we live in this Trinitarian bathed world which by his loving wise design is perfectly suited to finding him and serving others. This world is perfectly suited for you to give your life away in loving concern for other people. This world is made for that. Christ makes sure of that. And if you give your life away in love and die doing it, the next world is our Father's world. We can do that. And I know, I talk about this, I, I talk about this sometimes, but I think there needs to be a little, sometimes a little, um, there should always be suspicion around this. I think it's a good thing, but there should be suspicion around it. We, uh, we, in our culture, are obsessed with self-care. Obsessed with it. Obsessed with boundaries and lines, and, and we're obsessed with, like, um, calling people dangerous and all this stuff. And, and, I, and I understand that this world is, um, is a broken place. But this is our Father's world. And it's perfectly suited for people to find him and for us to serve other people. And so there's a reorientation around I can show up with what I have and I can give it to other people because there's enough. And there's enough. And there will be enough. And if not in this life, in the next. And so our hope is firmly rooted in the next life. It's firmly rooted in the God who makes all things new. And that doesn't detach us from serving. That's what, I'm, that's what I'm trying to say here. This doesn't detach us from serving. This doesn't go, hey, God has it all. It's all good. Let's just do whatever we want. It actually thrusts us in. It pushes us into serving. It pushes us into giving what we have. Because when we do that, we know that I'm safe. I'm secure. 
I'm able to give myself away in Christian, Christ-centered, Christ-motivated love. Would you stand as we pray? This teaching was recorded live at Reality San Francisco. And as a part of our weekly gatherings, we move from teaching to responding to the Holy Spirit through prayer and a time of ministry. It's hard to capture that on a podcast, but we encourage you to pause and consider how the Holy Spirit might be inviting you to respond to what you've just heard. For more resources and details of how to join us on Sundays, please visit realitysf.com. May the peace of Christ be with you.